Welcome to the podcast, Let the Prophet Speak. Today we are going to study the book of Esther, Megillat Esther, chapter 2, Parak Bays. This is Saul Weinreb, the host of the podcast. For those that have been studying Esther with us, we have just finished the completion of the first chapter in which we learned of the um, party that the King Ahasuerus made for all of his subjects. For all of his subjects, we learned that he asked his wife Vashti to appear in front of the assembled uh, people at the party in an immodest way. Vashti refused to do so, and she was therefore removed from her royal position as queen and banished from the palace. Exactly what happened to Vashti afterwards is at least according to the simple text, is completely a mystery. Many books, novels, and uh, have been written based on what happened to Vashti afterwards. Also, the historic identity of Vashti is also um, in question. Just like we don't know exactly who Ahasuerus was historically, we also therefore do not know who Vashti was. There are various theories as to who she may be among the historians and the scholars, but because we really don't know the answer, I'm not going to go into that. Um, <clears throat> uh, just mention one most popular one, that there was a uh, queen, Amestris, who was a famous, powerful queen, uh, married to Xerxes. It was one of the more common um, <clears throat> kings identified as the biblical Ahasuerus. But there's reasons why it might be here, reasons why it may not be. Who knows? The bottom line is at this point, the king has banished his queen. And now, of course, he misses her. So, this is verse one. After these happenings occurred, when the anger of the king, the anger that he had towards his, his wife for not uh, listening to him when he wanted her to uh, calm down. So Zoharet Vashti, now he remembered Vashti, he also remembered what she did, and he remembered that which he decreed upon her. So it seems there's three things that he remembered here. He remembered Vashti, in other words, he missed her. <clears throat> he missed um, having her around. But then he also remembered that which she did. Presumably that leads into him wanting to find a new queen that wouldn't do the same kinds of things, that wouldn't that wouldn't protest the way Vashti protested, that wouldn't have the same uh, streak of independence. And he also remembered that which he decreed upon her, that he will no longer be able to uh, benefit from her company. <clears throat> so therefore, he was upset. Um, it, it doesn't say specifically that he was upset and sad, but we can see from the next verse, verse 2, that this was the case. Because the king's... Uh, uh, young men who served him uh, said to him, seeing noted, apparently noting that he was uh, dis upset, we can find, remember, his attitude towards women was obviously one of, of uh, complete disrespect, one of someone who did not respect women as autonomous people at all. Um, uh, unfortunately, typical of the time, especially royals like him. And um, 
So what's the big deal? What do you want? You want a pretty woman? We can find young women that are virgins that we can find among the kingdom. We'll, you will search around. We'll find other young women and, and you'll be happy again. So the king said, fine, I'll find another woman. So verse 3, the king uh, uh, then, um, I'm sorry, this is still the, 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 the advisor speaking. And the king can't, we can find young women, and the king can appoint officers in all of the provinces of your kingdom. And they will go ahead and gather every uh, young uh, woman, every young virgin woman, who is beautiful in appearance. And we will gather them all El Shushan Abira to the capital Shushan, El Beit Hanash, and bring them into the, the king's. Um, uh, harem, the king's place where the king's women stay, and they can, the Hege, who is the uh, king's of uh, eunuch in charge, can be in charge of them. Shomer Anashim, he's guardi the guardian of the women, and he will give them everything they need to make themselves look pretty. And uh, verse 4, and the young woman who the king desires, he can make her the queen instead of Vashti. And the, the, this was seemed appeared to the king to be a good idea. And he did exactly what 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 they had recommended. So he's going to search through all of his midinot. There's an underlying theme here, which we've seen in the first chapter and in this chapter, the idea of midinot among all of his provinces. And each province had a language, each province had a culture, each province had a history, and so on. But scattered among those provinces were also peoples that did not have provinces. Most specifically, uh, the, the particular people who we are going to start learning about now, and that is the, the former exiles of Judea, the people of Israel, who do not have a province. They have a language, a culture, a history, a religion but do not have a Medina, do not have a province, and are thus scattered amongst the people. And one of those people we're about to learn about in, in verse 5. Ishihudi, there was a Jewish man, who lived in the capital Shushan. Ushmo, and his name was Mordechai, Mordechai, Ben Yair, the son of Yair, Ben Shim'i, the son of Shim'i, Ben Kish, the son of Kish, Ishimini, he was a man from the tribe of Benjamin. Now, the, uh, the verse put out four, uh, mentioned four generations. Mordechai, the son of Yair, son of Shimi, son of Kish. If he was a fourth generation, um, uh, a Jew living in exile, the, the forefather of this, the oldest generation mentioned, is a person now by the name of Kish. This tempts one to wonder if this Kish is related to the famous Kish, who was famous in the sense that his son was King Saul, Shaul ben Kish. Was, King Saul's father's name was Kish, and it was also from the tribe of Benjamin. But obviously, that was hundreds of years prior, which would have been much more than four generations. So maybe when it's sometimes when it says the son of Kish would mean the descendant of Kish, which leads to the rabbinic tradition that Mordechai was of somewhat royal lineage, having descended from the same family that King Saul descended from. However, this could also, of course, you know, and the simple meaning of the verse is not that. The simple meaning is that 
that he, maybe the name Kish was a common name in the tribe of Benjamin, and therefore his great-grandfather's name was Kish, and therefore now this person, Kish, Asher Hegla Mirushalayim, his great-grandfather had been exiled from Jerusalem, Im Hagola, together with the exile, Asher Hagletal, which was exiled, Im Yichanya Melech Yehuda, with the king of Yehuda named Yichanya, Asher Hegla Nebuchadnezzar Melech Babel, that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, sent into exile. Now, just to remind you, those that have been studying together with me may remember this, but it gets complicated and difficult to remember. So, there were three waves of exile from Babylon, from from Judea, that the king Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon um, exiled. After the death of Yoshiahu of Josiah, that when things began to seriously unravel for the kingdom of Judah, there was a king named Yehoahaz. Yehoahaz only was king for several months. He was deposed by the king of Egypt, which was at the time um, fighting with Babylon for power over the area in the Middle East. And at this point in time, Egypt was, was on the ascendancy. Egypt deposed Yehoahaz and put a king Yehoiakim into place. Then after that, so he was a vassal of Egypt, Yehoiakim, who was the brother of Yehoahaz, who had just been deposed by Egypt. So now Egypt is pulling the strings. Yehoiakim then was a vassal to Egypt. And then Egypt fought a big battle, the Battle of Carchemish, against the Babylonians, and Egypt lost the battle. When Egypt lost the battle, the Babylonians then turned to Judah and attacked and laid siege to Judah. This was the first attack of Babylon against Judah, because Judah was a vassal kingdom to their enemy, Egypt, who had just been defeated in battle. Jehoiakim um, then, after being conquered and, um, and uh, after, after the siege, he capitulates to Babylon and becomes a vassal of Babylon. At that point was the first Exile. The, the, the so Nebuchadnezzar then makes uh, makes Jehoiakim uh, a vassal to him, and he takes the first group of Judeans in exile. And one, the most famous member of that first wave was the prophet Daniel from the book of Daniel. After Jehoiakim, so after Jehoiakim became a vassal of Babylon, and the Babylonians took in exile. Jehoiakim was loyal for a little bit of time, and then he rebelled again and went over back to Egypt's side, leading Nebuchadnezzar to attack again. During that second siege, Jehoiakim died, and his son Yechaniah, or Jehoiachin, took over. It's the same person, Jehoiachin or Yechaniah took over. They lost the siege again, and Nebuchadnezzar took Jehoiachin and sent him plus many of his uh, uh, many of the noblemen again in the second wave of exile. And two famous members of that second wave was, number one, Kish, the great-grandfather of Mordechai that we just mentioned. And we just said he went in the second wave of exile into Babylon. And um, and also the prophet Yechezkel, Ezekiel, who we studied before, was also a member of the second exile that went into Babylon. 
during that second, at the same time in the second exile, when Yehoiachin was sent into into Galus, the um, the Nebuchadnezzar placed Tzidkiyahu on the throne as a vassal. Tzidkiyahu was loyal for a while, eventually rebelled, and then for the third time, Nebuchadnezzar attacked again, and this time he had enough and destroyed the temple and sent the almost the entire people into exile, and that was the third wave of the Babylonian exile. Mentioning this so that just so that we can place Mordechai's ancestry, his great grandfather had been one of those that had been in that second wave of exile of Yehoiachin. So, which would have been, a, if I'm not mistaken, about uh, 13 or so years before the ultimate destruction. So, Mordechai then would have been living near the end of the period of the Babylonian exile, close to the time of the rebuilding of the second temple close to the time of the return of the people to, 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 to Judea, and possibly even, according to some calculations, maybe even during the time when the second temple was beginning to be rebuilt. But in the book of Esther, we don't have any direct hints of that, so we do have to rely on the different traditions and the different um, scholars to date it. So just to give you an idea of where Mordechai stood in the history. Now this man, Mordechai, let's continue with the text. In verse 7, Vayihi Omein et Hadassah, and he was a foster father. That's my best translation for Omein. A woman who, a young lady whose name was Hadassah. He, Esther, who also had the name Esther. Bat Dodo, who was the daughter of his uncle. So she was his first cousin, but apparently younger than him. Uh, significantly so that he would become her stepfather. Something had happened to her uncle, she had no father or mother, she was an orphan, and because he was related to her, he took her into his home and raised her as his daughter. She was beautiful in appearance and beautiful, um, um, and, 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 and had a beautiful body and, 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 and form, that's what Yifat uh, Toar generally means, and when her parents passed away, Mordechai took her into the home to raise her, protect her as, as if she was his own daughter. By he and it was, this is verse 8, when the word of the king was heard and his rule and his decree that said that was was heard in the land that all uh, beautiful young women were to be gathered into the capital and Mordechai with his his, his cousin Esther lived in the capital when many young women were being gathered into the capital Shushan Eliad Hegai under the leadership of Hegai who was the eunuch mentioned before Esther apparently had a reputation as being a beautiful young woman, and she was therefore taken to the house of the king. Eliad Hegai Shumer Anoshim, under the hand of Hegai, the one who was the guardian of the women. And the woman was pleasant in his eyes. Not only was she beautiful, but she also, one, the best translation of Chesed was she made him feel kindness towards her or she found favor, she won his favor. So she was not just pretty in a, in a physical way, but she was had that kind of personality that made people like her. She had a very pleasant personality, the type of personality that people wanted, that, that she was able to get along with people well. 
she did not seem to have that streak of independence, which was that uh, seemed to be um, Vashti's personality. And Haggai, she just seemed to have a way of, of people liking her. So, so therefore, uh, he treated her better than the other women, and he uh, and he gave her all of her 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 needs for her makeup and needs to look pretty. That monotea and her gifts, the, the monotea referring specifically to uh, allotments of food and support, lateitla to give her so that she should be healthy and strong and happy. Beitsheva and Aroti gave her seven. Uh, uh, young women as assistants that were appropriate to give her from the king's house and he treated her and he treated her women that were there to help her better than the other the other women in the king's harem so she earned special treatment a because she was beautiful but also because she was very well liked and she just seemed to know how to get along with people in a way that people liked her. Lohigida Esther, but Esther did not say at Tama her nation, what her nationality was, and that she was born of the Jewish people. Because Mordechai had um, commanded her and told her, do not say where you come from. So presumably she said she's just a girl from the city of Shushan. She wouldn't say that, uh, mention her Jewish descent. Exactly why Mordechai said that is not clear. It would seem, based on the remainder of the story and the, in the chapters that we're going to be reading, that there was a significant amount of dislike, what we would in modern terms call anti-Semitism, but in those days, clearly it wasn't, they wouldn't have used that term and it would have been different um, in many ways. However, there was a, an, a, an amount of hatred or dislike towards people of Jewish descent and therefore, Mordechai told her not to. Now, that again, that is not written in the text, but from the fact that we can see from the succeeding chapters that such a problem definitely existed in those times, one would therefore assume that that's the reason. Now, there's a lot of other traditions as to why he didn't say or why he didn't want her to say rabbinic traditions and so on. Each one has its value and has its purpose, but I'm trying to stick as close to the text itself as possible as I have been throughout these podcasts. So verse 11, and every single day, Mordechai would go, he would go outside the courtyard of where the women's harem was, in order to find out how Esther is doing. He was a, 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 the image is being given of a very caring foster father who wants to know about the welfare of his, of his, of his daughter, of his foster daughter, and he and he was very concerned about her welfare, which is why he told her not to speak about her origins. And also, he keeps checking on her to make sure she's okay. He didn't just abandon her when the responsibility passed over to the house of the king. And he wanted to know what's going to happen with her. Hopefully, presumably, hoping that one day she can get out of the clutches of the royal home, household and come back home. And then, apparently of the women that had been gathered from the kingdom, they took turns to spend the night with the king. One can imagine what that night was for. And um, and the king would, once he gets to know all of the women, would then choose the one that he wants to be the queen. So, and when it came, each is verse 12, 
the turn of each young woman to come to the king at the time after she had uh, like the women uh, uh, are prescribed for they, this is the practice I guess then in royal households was that they, households that they would have 12 months that would be enough time for them to beautify themselves. Shisha Chadashim Amar, six months soaking in the oil of myrrh. Vishisha Chadashim Babisomim, and six months in with perfumes and spices of the Tamrukeanashim and various cosmetics. So this was how they prepared. And at the end of that 12 month period, each woman would get her turn with a night with the king. And in this way, this is verse 13, the young lady would come to the king. And whatever other things she wanted um, to would, would be given to her. Whatever she said, I want to bring this along or that along. If she had special requests, they would always be fulfilled. The house of the harem would supply these things. And she can bring them with her to the house of the king, to the palace. She would come in the evening and in the morning she would return to another house of the women that had already spent. So they would spend these 12 months preparing in one harem and then they would spend the rest of their time in the second harem under the charge of a different a different eunuch named then she would be officially considered a king's concubine no longer a candidate but now she's a concubine and she would no longer come to the king only if the king would desire her and call her out by name he would say I want that one back otherwise she would spend the rest of her life in this second harem and when it came the turn of Esther the daughter of Avichayel who was the uncle of Mordechai? Now this this uh, he's being named. Avichael was therefore Mordechai's uncle, um, who was Esther's father, the one who had passed away. the Mordechai who had taken her on as a daughter. When it came her turn to come to the king, she didn't ask for anything specific, anything special. This is the sign. It just shows what, how she allowed the men that had so much power over her. And so much power over her to uh, she just some knew how to uh, make them feel as if they were in charge this is again that little bit of humor that almost that wink wink that's behind the text throughout this book she allowed Haggai to feel as if he was the one in charge so on the little things that she had control over such as which perfume to wear or which cosmetics to use she would allow the eunuch, the king, the, the, the king's eunuch who was in charge of her, allow him to think that he was the one that had the control. But he asked her no says fain, and because of this way that she had of getting along with people, she found favor in the eyes of all that looked upon her. So and so the, the, the verse here is giving us a hint as to exactly how Esther made people feel like they had control in a world in which the woman had so little control over her life esther learned of a way to um uh, to get along with people and be well liked and when push came to shove when the time came for esther to assert her independence we will see how 
incredibly smart she was in doing that. And when the power was in her hands, when things really meant something, when she had to act, Esther had the power to act. Because of her, of her very ingenious, very intelligent, and very uh, likable way of getting along with people. Verse 16, Vatilo kach Esther, and Esther was then taken to the king to the king's house in the 10th month which is the month of Tevet, which happened to be in the seventh year of the king Ahasuerus' reign. This is verse 17. And um, the king loved Esther more than any of the other women. Presumably, the king had many, many beautiful women to choose from. As much as Esther was beautiful, one would imagine that there were many, many other women that also had that the physical characteristic of beauty. Now, here what we see is, why did the king love Esther? It says specifically, She found favor in his eyes, and it was her grace and her kindness that stood her out above all of the other young virgin women that came to see the king. This is the crucial idea here, is that if he was looking for someone just that was beautiful, he had plenty to choose from. But there was something about Esther's personality that made her the one the king said, this is the one that I want. And I'm going to venture to guess that this was her characteristic of making the king feel like he was in charge. A characteristic um, that women, when in the societies that they lived in, that didn't have overt Power, the women that were so subjugated on, in, in, a, in a terrible way to the men of the society that they lived in, many women employed this tactic of allowing men to feel like they are in charge. And Esther was a master at this art, making the men feel as if they were in control. Now, this is I'm saying this because this is exactly what the king did not feel from his first wife, Vashti. So therefore, by Yosem Keter Machus Perosha, he placed the crown of, of royalty upon her head by Vashti, and he made her the queen in place of the queen Vashti, who was already banished from being the queen. Verse 18, the king made a great party, to all of his officers and his servants, Mishte Esther, the party of Esther. And in order that the entire um the entire kingdom should uh, partake in this in this celebration. He made a, a tax holiday um, so that the, the the provinces had didn't have to pay as much tax. And he gave out gifts um, according to the generosity of the king. And then he went to gather the uh, when they went ahead. And this is a very cryptic verse here, how this falls in place. And when they gathered young women again a second time, and Mordechai was sitting in the gates of the king. So now Mordechai was no longer sitting in the place outside the um, the, uh, the 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 women's harem because Esther was no longer there. She was now the queen. She was out of the harem where the women were kept before they slept with the king. Now she is living in the palace, presumably. So Mordechai now 
moves to the palace in order to check on the welfare of his foster daughter to make sure she's okay. The, um, the question is, of course, what is this gathering of Betulot again? And how does this, this juxtapose together with Mordechai sitting in the, in the palace of the king? Why is he gathering the two uh, virgins again? Well, the king, you can only imagine all various reasons why he would do that. Why is this important to the story? Is questionable and, and not understood. Maybe, maybe I would think, and this is the closest I can come to just using the text and not looking through the various traditions and commentaries and so on, is, is that um, it's just pointing out that Mordechai was um, left, even though they were gathering women again, Mordechai was not in, he was not sitting outside the harem where the women were being gathered because he was involved in that endeavor, right? But rather, even though that endeavor was continuing, Mordechai left that area because the re only reason why he was there was to check on Esther. So therefore, this just emphasizes the fact that the reason why he was there was to check on Esther, which is why now he changed his place to sit in the gate of the palace. Now, at Ain Esther, even while at verse 20, even when Esther was um, in the palace of the king and she was the queen and now was wearing the royal crown, she still did not, she still did not say where she came from and what nation she was from. So she maintained this air of mystery about her, just like Mordechai commanded her to. And Esther was still loyal to Mordechai, even though she became queen. She did not let it get to her head, so to speak. She still uh, obeyed the command of Mordechai, which was not to speak. And she was still loyal to her to her uh, foster father who had taken care of her and to her family, just like she was when she was his foster daughter living with him. So this emphasizes Esther's humility. She didn't let it get to her head. She remembered in her heart where she was from and who had sacrificed themselves for her in the past, even while she was the queen of the land. And to finish chapter two, we now have a little incident that tells us a little bit about Mordechai and what kind of a person he was and how he lived in exile, laying low, allowing the society around him to know and see that he was loyal. By Omimahim in those days, verse 21, Mordechai Yoshev Mordechai is sitting in the palace courtyard. And of course, there's all kinds of intrigue, officials going in and out, people going in and out all kinds of things to see. And two of the king's eunuchs got angry at something that the king had done. These were guardians of the doorway. So Mordechai was able to hear them because he was sitting in the in the courtyard where people were going in and out. And they had made a plot to, um, to assassinate the king. And um, Mordechai, being st standing around, obviously was quiet enough that he was able to hear them and they weren't uh, either ignored him or didn't notice him or weren't afraid that he would say anything. Mordechai found out about this plot by Agade and he had his connection. He had connections to the queen. So by Agade, he told the queen, And Esther went and told the king, in Mordechai's name. And this is crucial here. Again, this shows her humility. 
she could easily have said that she heard about it in order to better her position with the king. But that's not what she did. That's not what she did because she had that humility and she said it to the king in the name of where it came from, which was from her stepfather or her foster father, Mordechai, and said, there's a, there's a man, Mordechai, who told me this news. Even though that might make her look a little suspicious, why is she talking to this guy? Remember, the people don't even know who he is and what their relationship is. But Esther went ahead and said it in the name of Mordechai and told the king about this plot by Evukasha the war. And the king investigated this matter by Yimotzei, and it was found that it was actually true. There was a plot to kill him by Yitolushneim al And the two people, Bigton and Seresh, that had been in charge of this plot were, were executed by hanging. Um, another understanding is by Yitolu, they were hung on wood, meaning they were impaled on wood stakes. Um, uh, it, it's hard to know exactly what it means. By but either way, they were executed by Yikosev Besefer Divrei Hayamim Amalach, and then it was written down in the Chronicles of the King as an episode that Mordechai had exposed the plot, told the king, and the king's life was thus saved, saving him from assassination. So this completes chapter two. We now have it set up that Esther is the queen. Esther is the queen, and she's um, uh, um, and Mordechai is is looking after her welfare. No one knows what her lineage is, what people she comes from. And the king likes her very much, and especially now that she was part of the uh, uh, the group of people, in other words, led by Mordechai, that exposed this plot of Big Son and Sarah. Thank you so much for studying chapter two together. Looking forward to studying chapter three, and of course, the rest of the book of Esther together.